Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by a progressive college professor that may be redundant, Mark Casello, and Gilbert Villas. He is an alderman in the city of Chicago, 36th Ward, and also in hour number two, will be joined by Jefferson Morley of JFK Facts as we prepare for the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at AM560, The Answer, in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. And before we begin our discussion, we'll begin by the talking about the migrant crisis in the United States and how big cities are handling it. I would like to take just a moment to offer my condolences to President Jimmy Carter. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter passed away today at age 99. She had gone into hospice uh, yesterday, uh, and so she did not last long there. Her husband obviously went in, as you may recall, back in February, and he hangs on. But Rosalind Carter has passed away, a, a, a very classy First Lady, and again, they were married for 77 years, and I had the pleasure back in 1978 while producing the Lee Philip Noonbreak show of having the First Lady as a guest on that program when she was visiting uh, Evanston, Illinois, on a, a, a medical-related uh, public appearance. But anyway, uh, Rosalind Carter, former First Lady of the United States, passed away. So, my condolences. Tonight, we begin by uh, just briefly asking... Those around the United States, you've heard us talk about illegal immigration and, and the crush that it is putting on the United States and the crush that it is putting on big cities throughout the United States. Here in Chicago, where this program originates from, uh, over 20,000 migrants have descended on Chicago. They've been bussed in uh, primarily from Texas for the last several months. And tonight we have a member of the Chicago City Council who uh, he's on the receiving end of that. And so we're going to spend some time talking with him and getting his perspective and also uh, uh, Mark Asello, a good friend of this program. He will be joining me in the interviews as well. And uh, Alderman Villales, nice to have you with us. Thanks. Uh, Villegas. Villegas. Villegas, okay. Nice to have you with us. Uh, you represent the 36th Ward, which is uh, on the northwest side of Chicago. And... Uh, Tell us, if you will, if, if someone arrived in this city uh, from another city right now and they were to walk into a Chicago police station, because that's where we are holding migrants at the moment, what would they see outside of a Chicago police station where I went this past week, uh, one in your area, Area 4, and uh, what would they see? Yeah, so, um, well, thank you for having me this evening, uh, Bruce, and pleasure to meet you, Mark. Um so as you mentioned before, what we're seeing is that uh, we have migrants that are being shipped from Texas, uh, whether it's through plane or through bus. Uh, those that are landing, uh, arriving by plane are being housed uh, or stationed at O'Hare Airport. Uh, those that are arriving by uh, bus are received at a, a uh, receiving center. Um, Cook County Health takes a look at them, and then we're utilizing the police stations as we're trying to uh, locate facilities in order to house the migrants uh, to get them into a position so that we mm -hmm. can help them assimilate. Now, the decision to put them at police stations, uh, was that a quickly made decision? 
Yeah, this was a decision that was made under the previous administration under uh, Mayor Lightfoot, mm-hmm. given the fact that these were uh, facilities that the city owns and had access to. Uh, but at no time did the city think that we'd be in this predicament where we were having over 20,000 uh, newly arrived uh, uh, migrants here in the city of Chicago. Uh, as I mentioned, this past week when I visited one of the police stations, uh, it, it appeared to be orderly. I learned, at least from the police at that district, that they had not caused any, uh, at least, immediate crime problem outside the police station, which I guess is good. And it, it seemed somewhat orderly. I was told that the tents had been donated. They were not necessarily bought with taxpayers' funding. I don't know whether that's true uh, in, in totality. Yeah that's, yeah, that's accurate. There's, yeah. Uh, there's um, What you're seeing is um, Chicagoans and uh, suburbs that are nearby that are stepping up in mm-hmm. order to try to assist with this crisis. This is, again, this is a crisis that's occurring where we're having the, the governor of Texas, uh, where he's trying to uh, prove a point and shipping um, migrants to, quote unquote, blue cities, uh, welcoming cities, uh, in order to highlight the, the fact that uh, Texas is um, Right now, a little overcrowded with uh, with us. Well, he's proved he's proved his point, right? Both uh, in Chicago and in uh, uh, you know in New York. New York. Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, he has been successful at uh, making it a discussion point uh, in in Washington D.C. When someone gets on a bus in Texas or gets off that bus in Chicago, who do they see? Is there a manifest that has the name? Uh, and and the country of origin of each person getting off that bus? So that's the problem is that uh, Texas is receiving federal dollars in order to deal with the crisis. However, the dollars that the federal government is providing to assist with this crisis is not following the the migrant or asylum seeker. So um, So the money goes to Texas. It goes to Texas. So the, uh, the, the, the exporting is basically handled by the federal government, but on the intake side in Chicago or New York, no money. No money. And um, we don't, we're not given as much notice. We're given probably 24-hour notice that there's a bus uh, or flights coming in. Uh, and that's been part of the problem. That there hasn't been any coordination between Texas and the state of, and city of Chicago, state of Illinois. Now, that's been, hasn't there been a recent change in that, uh, insofar as the bus companies, uh, they can no longer drop people off in the middle of the night? Is that a relatively new thing that the city's trying to rectify? Well, we, yeah, exactly. So we're trying to figure out uh, if you're not going to tell us um, when they're coming, that we would we would hope that there be at least some coordination around what time they can, what time these buses can come, because of the fact that uh, if not, we're having to operate this. Uh, have an operation that's 24-7, and we just we just don't have the, the bandwidth for that. You know, a few weeks ago on this program, we talked about the whole process of how the federal government was handling uh, the case of the uh, uh, the asylum seekers versus those that are just trying to get into the country because they want to get away from their home country. And uh, we, we discovered that it was such a mess. When we talked about the federal plan, it was such a mess but one thing that I have gleaned, because I watch every Dutch t- television, <coughs> excuse me, every night, and I saw it with my own eyes, it seems to me that the city of Chicago is doing a relatively good job, and they're now trying to get their hands untied by the federal government. So it really is a federal government problem that, that cities are doing the best they can, and uh, 
it, it seemed to be an orderly process. Uh, Mark, your, your reaction to uh, those comments? Yeah, I, you know, I, my, my thoughts are with the families who are you know, about <clears throat> to enter a Chicago winter uh, living in a tent. But I, I do agree that this is a, um, a failure at the federal level. I, I, I want to see more leadership. You know, as a Democrat, uh, I really don't feel the Biden administration has stepped up uh, to respond to this crisis in the way I would have liked to see. When we come back, I want to get uh, Gil's response to that. Gil is also a Democratic Ward Committeeman, so he likes to wave the Democratic banner. But uh, I don't see too many Democrats out there waving the banner that things are going well with this process. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029. We will continue in a moment. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
Bruce Dumont back. We are picking up on our discussion of migrants that have been sent to the city of Chicago. There's over 20,000 of them. Uh, most of them are housed at police stations in tents uh, in all the police districts throughout the city. And uh, uh, the city now, with cold weather approaching, uh, trying to find a, a better way to handle it. And uh, going back to this current situation, in in your ward, Gil, um, is there going to be an intake center for uh, you know, larger groups? Is there going to be a tent city? No, actually, the way that uh, we're approaching it, uh, they've ad- we've identified a, a, a structure, a building that's uh, going to accommodate 200 occupants uh, made up of families. So no big tents uh, in, my, in my ward. Where does the food come from for these uh, migrants? Yeah, so there was, uh, we have uh, companies that are providing those types of services, and so it was a request for proposal. We're trying to utilize local businesses as well in order to help, in help, in order to help uh, the, with, the, with, the economy, with local economy there. So we're trying to, we're coming from local restaurants. What I saw was it was a buffet table. I mean, they're not boxed lunches or dinners. No. It's a buffet table and you, uh, three times a day, they uh, get a chance. What about restrooms? So in, in, with this uh, structure, um, <clears throat> there was some, uh, some repairs that, that were done and some uh, additional bathrooms that were built in order to accommodate. Um, so this, and then we're just right next to a church. So there's some other facilities as where as, as that are there. So they're well. not, they don't, they're not, they're not required or they're not tied to only using the bathrooms in the police station. No. What about showering? So showering at the police station is a little bit different uh, because of the fact that uh, there, there are groups that come pick up migrants and then take them to facilities in order to, in order to utilize showers. So there aren't enough showers on site at police stations. And so we have, uh, organizations that are that are helping to provide with that service. Uh, the police station uh, where I went to visit said that the migrants outside had not been a, a, a criminal problem in any way. With the other police stations in your area, in your in your ward, have you heard of that that they are a criminal problem at some point? No, it's they're, they're not. Listen, you know, these are people that are coming from you know, horrible situations uh, in search of the American dream. This is a a story that's continuing. Not all of them. Some of them, I mean, in every large crowd, there's going to be some, there's going to be some shams. Well, so far, I can tell you that the majority of folks, um, a super majority of the folks that have, uh, that are here are in search of uh, the American dream. And I've actually spoken with, with, uh, with several of the recently, recently arised asylum seekers and, one of the first things they're asking for is, how do I get work? How can I get a job? How can I be part of Chicago? Now, recently, uh, it was decided that the Venezuelans would get, get some special attention, and they would be the first to receive the work permits. Yet not everyone in the 20,000 that have come to the city are Venezuelans. So what's happening to, to people that are falling in the cracks? In other words, they're not on, a, uh, on an asylum uh, track uh, they're just out there, and they may be a Colombian or a Nicaraguan. What, what's happening to them, and what are what is the likelihood that they will be given a work permit? Well, I think that process is going to take a bit, little bit longer. I think we're, we're looking at six months for those that are that would not qualify under the temporary protective status. Why so long? Well, that's and, just and, a, and why not? That's just a federal. Those are federal rules. I mean, listen, this has been a a huge failure at the federal level. Uh, we're, we've been talking about immigration reform for decades. Yes, we have. And the reality is, is that some people are of the opinion that ship them all back. There's 11 million undocumented people here right. in the country that are 
probably your neighbor. Um, and they're contributing to the local economy, paying into a society, paying into a social social security program that they'll probably never benefit from, uh, and they're, they're they're contributing to to society. In retrospect, uh, and then I want to get back to to, to Mark's uh, inputs. Um, in reality, is there a better place than Chicago for these migrants from Texas uh, to be sent? Are there other states that? should be doing more, and could they be encouraged to do more? Um, again, Illinois is a welcoming city. Well, I mean, sorry, welcoming state, rather. Um, and so if other states that are looking to increase their population, um, taking a look at it from, from an economic development standpoint uh, or from helping to grow their economy, they should be looking at this. Um, we're talking about people that are coming here wanting to contribute, um, do not want to be a burden but, but, but looking you, for a pathway. But you also said Chicago is a welcoming city. That's correct. And again, Governor Abbott has basically said to to Mayor Johnson and also to the, the, the mayor of New York City, Adams, that uh, put up or shut up. You want to be a welcoming city? Prove it. Yes. Yeah, so obvious. But but my question to you is, and there is there's there's a plan to have a referendum. I don't know where you are on that, but some aldermen want to have a referendum and let the voters decide whether Chicago wants to continue to be a welcoming city. Well, look, I'll say this. Um, if the federal, if there's federal funds that are tied to this initiative, yeah. um, we'll, we'll be more than happy to take them. Well, listen, I'm sure. for, listen I'm sure. I, I, I tell my colleagues from this perspective, for every person during the census that's counted, it counts 14,000 per person. Right now there's 20,000 uh, uh, migrants that are here, that, that equates to $280 million once the census has been counted as, as it relates to, to funds that are coming back to the state of Illinois, whether it's for deal for transportation projects, whether it's for school. So I'm looking at it from that perspective. As it relates to the question, that question is not going to appear on the ballot. There'll be a question that'll probably talk about, should the city have a cap and should the city have a limit as to how much money is spent, given the fact that the federal government is just not providing the necessary resources. Okay. But again, I... I, I I would like to see the people vote on it because, again, this, this, this was a comment made by Mayor Harold Washington 35 years ago. Yeah, but it was also it was codified. It was codified under Rahm Emanuel and then under Lightfoot. Right. And then when, when we talk about the people voting on this, remember, we're elected, we're elected representatives, and these are things that we support. And so at any time, if there's a huge majority of folks that say, hey, I don't like that vote, then they can vote me out. And well, I, I was— overwhelmingly voted back in uh, because this is just one issue. And this is just. But again, initially, initially, when Harold Washington said uh, that we're a welcoming city or a sanctuary city was Mm -hmm. what he said, was he did not want city police officers cooperating with federal law enforcement authorities on tracking down uh, illegal immigrants. That's when it started. Mm-hmm. I mean, now it's it's blossomed into we have to find a place for them to, to, to live, to stay, to eat. We've got to get jobs for them. I mean, that, that that's, a, that's a big well, cry from we're not going to cooperate with INS. But you, get, but you have to remember also that we, the city of Chicago, can't participate in trafficking people as well. So when they come here— they, if they have an if they have an option and say, hey, I'd like to go somewhere else, we assist them. But it's not like we're going to start putting them on a bus and busing them to other places as well and partake in the activities that uh, Governor Abbott is doing. When they come here um, uh, under federal law, we can't just bus them back, ship them anywhere. We have to they have to say, hey, I'd like to go somewhere else. And then we, we provide them with that type of assistance. Mark. Yeah, I 
you know, I, I just I want to see at the national level greater coordination with the states and the city. I'd like to see somebody at a federal level in the Democratic Party talking about uh, lifting the sanctions on Venezuela. Um, if we look at, you know, there's a direct line between this migrant crisis and the punishing sanctions we put on Venezuela that helped collapse its currency. So I think, you know, we should be looking at the root causes of the migrant crisis, American policy, foreign policy in Latin America, and helping those countries. Um, that that was an approach that President Obama took. Uh, Secretary of State Clinton was interested in working those, but... Uh, you but know, another one, and you mentioned what the Democrats can do, another one would be put more people on the border. Don't well, let these people come to the United States because the United States is not large enough, nor are there, there's enough uh, resources here to deal with, with perhaps hundreds of thousands of people in Central and South America who, and, and other parts of the world that want to make America home. There's right. just don't, not enough room for them. Right, and that's part of the picture is, you know, what is an orderly border? What... What policies are in place for the work visas, uh, for the existing immigrants who came here legally who are trapped in sort of like TN visa status for decades? Um, what does know, that mean? So, for example, the, we had the NAFTA visa where, where people would come in on a work permit and people from Mexico, for instance, could come in and work for a year and then they have to get that visa renewed every year, sometimes traveling back home to Mexico to get the visa renewed. There's these arduous kind of work requirements and you've got a lot of people who've bought houses here, they live here, they're contributing, and we don't really have even a clear, you know, program to get people into our legal immigration system to get them green cards when they come legally. In, in, in your case, Gil, um, are the people that are coming here taking jobs from other people in the 36th Ward that would like a job? No, what you see is, uh, what I've done is, I'm working with the, with the city right now to develop uh, a process for uh, allowing – provide some assistance. So, for example, uh, ESL classes, which is Eng English as a second language classes, mm -hmm. will be provided. Um, we'll take a look at city colleges providing some type of certificate uh, training programs and then also the TPS application. But I've already reached out to the Illinois Restaurant Association as well as the Illinois Hosp Hotel and Lodge Association mm -hmm. uh, because these are opportunities and they, they have job shortages. And so as soon as we're able to get these folks in a position— And Americans don't want those jobs. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is they're open right now, and they've been open for quite some time. So there's a huge opportunity. There's probably 20 percent vacancy rates, and uh, no one wants these jobs. With the work visas that are coming uh, soon to those who are from Venezuela, does it allow them to take uh, any job that's available— or is there something tied to it that, that they have to make a, a, a living wage? Or uh, is this just an opportunity for an employer to hire someone at below minimum wage? No, the, well, under in Chicago, we have Office of Land, Labor Standards that uh, monitors um, uh, uh, minimum wage. So, as you know, minimum, our minimum wage is over 15 bucks an hour right now. Okay. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more questions. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number if you'd like to call in and, and offer your two cents about the migrant process, how everyone is being processed, and also if you have an idea on how to make it better in the future, uh, we're, we're open to that idea as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight, coast to coast and border to border around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. 
Fare thee well, Kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid, My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. went back and uh, a reminder that in the second hour of this evening we'll be joined by Jefferson Morley he is with JFA JFK facts and he is one of the leading and most respected experts on the subject of the Kennedy assassination as most people at least are who are over a certain age will remember that the 22nd of November which is coming up next week will mark the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Hard to believe, but we'll be talking about that in the second hour of our broadcast. Tonight, I want to introduce or let them introduce themselves, two of our guests that are in studio, and we're going to begin uh, with the Alderman. Alderman, tell us a little bit about your background when you're not uh, making laws for the city of Chicago. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, born and raised in Chicago, a, pro- a product of uh, Chicago Public Schools, Marine Corps veteran, uh, was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Um, 
worked was a teamster for a decade, uh, worked in state government for almost a decade, uh, was in a not-for-profit trade association where I advocated for infrastructure investments, and then I've been a city council member uh, for nine years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, you uh, attempted to be a member of Congress in a Democratic primary recently. Uh, you were unsuccessful, unsuccessful in that first run, and uh, uh, those that in uh, who voted uh, voted for one of the most progressive members of the United States uh, Congress now. Uh, is, is it possible that you might challenge her again in the future? Uh, I would say that right now I'm focused on local government and really local government that works. Uh, mm-hmm. What you see occurring in Washington, D.C. Right, right now uh, is a lot of dysfunction. Do you think she represents the majority of, of those in your ward, though? No, you know, I, I don't think so. But when, when you're, 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 Would you describe yourself as a, as a conservative Hispanic? No, I, I would. I would. Uh, uh, I am a pragmatic progressive. Um, I want to make sure that as we're putting forward programs, uh, there's the ability to pay for it as well. Listen, when I look at progressive, the first eight letters is progress. How do we make sure things are getting done? And our progressive tonight, pick it up from there, Marcus Elliott. <laughs> he said he gave it to you on a silver platter. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm Mark Casello. I'm the chair of the Department of Humanities at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana. I live on the south side of Chicago, uh, in the ninth ward of Chicago, uh, in the Pullman neighborhood, which is now a national historical park. And uh, I'm a founder and president of the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society that was established to help uh, promote the legislative purposes of protecting the And Pullman it's a district. national park primarily because of your efforts. Uh, <coughs> partly, yes. I won't take the credit, but it was really... What would, uh, what would the neighbors in your ward say about this issue? And, and how, how prevalent is it in the Ninth Ward, which is in the southeast side of Chicago near the Indiana border? Yeah, actually, you know, for visitors who travel to the Pullman uh, National Historical Park, they'll get off usually the Bishop Ford Expressway and they'll have to pass by the, the, uh, the police station that's located there, and and there were about 130 individuals living in tents um, at our uh, police facility last time I had checked. And our our community is very close-knit. It's a small uh, kind of area um, of about about 3,000, 4,000 people in the immediate Pullman area, and they've largely been supportive through social media efforts in the community. They've been delivering meals to people staying uh, at the police station through, through the migrants. Uh, there's been uh, book donations. There's, you know, l- several efforts uh, made in, at the community level. So our community has largely been supportive of the migrants' presence. Mostly Venezuelans as well? As far as I understand, yes. We should also mention during the break, uh, you mentioned something, Gil, that was uh, most interesting, is that uh, given the, the focus of, of, of the war in Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian village, uh, which is a very large neighborhood within your ward, uh, there have been over how many people from that country that have come here? Yeah, so over the last uh, uh, year and a half, uh, since the beginning of the war, um, you've, uh, we've, Chicagoland area has absorbed 30,000 uh, Ukrainians. 30,000? 30, 30, yes. Now, where did they live when they came here? Well, they lived, well, see, listen, in, in Chicago and the Ukrainian village specifically, uh, that community has been established for 100 years. Uh, that's part of the problem. There isn't a ve- big Venezuelan community here that could put forward uh, a support system. Whereas in the Ukrainian village, uh, they have a self-reliance bank. They have a Ukrainian cultural center. They have schools. 
And so they've been able to work together as a community to help. So they've been living with Ukrainians in Chicago? Yes. And what are they doing for jobs? Did they did they, they have to get a special work permit as well? Yes. So um, the federal government provided a temporary protective status for, the, for that community, Ukrainian community, as well as the Afghanistan community as well. Those are two communities that are, are, are uh, taking advantage of a program that the federal government has put forward for temporary protective status. The temporary protective status, why is it only Venezuela at this particular point? Well, get, because of the, 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 uh, the government issues that have been going on for, for quite some time, Mark talked about uh, the sanctions that have been there. And so because they're seeking asylum uh, and a temporary protective coming to America, they're provided that, uh, that status by, the, by, the, by, the, federal, by uh, the president of the United States. And is it just a presidential decision that makes that, or is it is it congressional decisions as well? No, that's in other, it, words, in other words, if you're from Honduras or you know Guatemala or the Dominican Republic or whatever, um, you don't get anything from the federal government. No, that's the the, the president of the United States uh, does that. He issues the temporary protective status. Uh, listen, if, if it was up to Congress, uh, as you can tell by the immigration issue that we've been facing for decades, nothing would be getting done. You have uh, mentioned that, uh, obviously, uh, you know, people, the migrants that are coming here, uh, what is the reaction in, if, if we were to sit in your office for a whole week with your assistant or the, whoever answers the phone calls, what sort of phone calls would they be receiving? Would they be irate? Because if you're on, if you are in Chicago and you watch television, there are large numbers of demonstrations very vehemently vehemently opposed to the various city programs, primarily in the black and to some extent the Hispanic neighborhoods, but primarily in African-American neighborhoods. They hate this. Uh, they hate this idea. They, they are not supportive of, 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 of the, the mayor's uh, actions in this, even though they may have supported him. So how does that community reaction differ from if I were to sit and listen to callers coming into the 36th ward? So um, what you've seen as relates to communities that are that are uh, upset about the the activities that are occurring um, and really the decisions that are being made by the mayor's office is there's not, there's not a lot of transparency. When an alderman is representing that area, uh, if there's a partnership between the mayor's office and, and the local, the alderman, then they can talk about and have meetings and try to incorporate uh, ideas from the community. Initially, when I was uh, having 200 occupants at the, uh, at the shelter that was in my ward, initially it was identified as 200 males. I heard back from the community that given the fact that there was parks nearby and schools nearby, that they felt it would be better to have families because of those assets that are in the area. And so I was able to articulate that back to the administration saying the community will support it based on the assets that are around here. And so that's, that's been the problem. It's just been a lack of, tra- lack of communication and transparency from, from, the, uh, from the mayor's office. Once someone gets off the bus and we've got their name and the country of origin, do we know anything about that person? No. Do we know, do we know if they're a criminal? Do we know if in this particular case uh, whether they are sex offenders and that's why the community may not want them near schools? Well, I, th- I think when you, when you have a situation where you have – 200 uh, single males that are coming to a location, uh, and the, given It'd the fact, given the fact that there's assets around, statistically, statistically, uh, there could be people in there that could cause damage. And so, 
uh, the community felt that it would be better, better situated. Uh, and I agreed, and, and the mayor's office agreed as well, that the schools So that where did there, they go? The, the, the other 200 males um, are still still being processed, and they'll be going to a different facility uh, that that are. But not all together, not necessarily all male. It depends on it depends on what we're receiving from from uh, from Texas. Um, whatever whatever migrant or asylum seekers are coming to Chicago, I mean, we don't dictate who comes up here, um, and so what we're trying to do is make sure that there's a mix and that we're using, utilizing facilities uh, to make sure that we're making sure we're not impacting the quality of life of the, of the residents that are there and to help, try to help them assimilate. One concern that a lot of Americans have is that the number of people that have come into the country, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, not 20, but the hundreds of thousands of people that have come to our border, some of them have slipped away. They, they, they're called gotaways. And again, uh, some of the records and some of the public publicity that's surrounding them is that some of them come from countries uh, that maybe at least would like to do harm to the United States. And there is a growing concern uh, expressed by the head of the FBI Mm -hmm. that there could be uh, sleeper cells. There could be there could be terrorists in that group. Do you worry about that? I do. Listen, um, Congress needs to step up and make sure that they're providing some type of plan around protecting the border, but doing it in a manner where we're not just closing the border entirely. Listen, people that came from, uh, came to Ellis Island, uh, they came here and they signed a book and then they became citizens over the course of period. What we're seeing at Texas is something that's very similar. Yeah, but they weren't given, they weren't given a hotel room off Michigan Avenue. They weren't, they weren't given three meals a day from, from local, uh, you know, restaurants. Right. But, they didn't so, get anything. But they, came they were here, SOL. But when they came here, they were they, they were uh, really hustling and grinding and get opportunities and trying to insert in, in pursuit of the American dream. So these rules weren't in place as it relates to to working, whereas right now the rules are in place. They're different. So yeah, well, we're different times. Some people could be resentful of that, though. Listen again. The Illinois Restaurant Association and the Illinois Hotel Lodge position have tons of positions that are available, and I don't see many people applying for those positions. Okay. 1-800-723-8029. We have one more segment to go, and we will be back with that conversation when we roll on with Albert Gilbert, uh, Alderman Gilbert Villas from the 36th Ward of Chicago and Mark Casello, progressive professor, if there ever was one, from St. <laughs> Calumet College or something like that. That's right. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. 
What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. (laughs) Corny, groan-worthy but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably... Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Mr. Montback, we continue with our conversation. Um, as you as you look, I mentioned that you are a Democratic board committeeman, so your job is to get out as many Democrats as possible come presidential election time. Would you acknowledge that this whole process, you, you've mentioned that we've been trying to solve this problem for a long, long time, but the problem of the border and specifically what's happening at the border and the sieve that we have at the border, that is a Democratic presidential problem. Would you acknowledge that? And how many people who are real Democrats, who you were going to try to convince to vote Democratic for Joe Biden, are going to say, Gil, this time we're not going to do it because the Democrats have screwed up? No, I would say that I would say that the uh, this is a pro, this is a there's a problem that's been going on for decades. You've had Congress's has failed to act around the broader issue. The broader issue, yes, yeah. but the influx of people. Daily, on a daily basis, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people coming through the border. That is a that's relatively in the last three years. And Democrats can't blame that on 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 President Trump, because President Trump during his four years, it wasn't like that. There is a dichotomy between what Trump did and what Biden is doing or attempting to do. But it's not coming across. Well, I would say that the the. The president's administration is doing their best uh, to secure the border. Um, but it's not enough. No, of, again, the president of the United States, in my opinion, is doing his best with the Department of Homeland Security in order to help uh, try to secure the border to the best of their ability. Listen, Congress could act. 
Congress could put forward legislation uh, to require the president to do things, and they haven't done anything because of the fact that politics. Do you think there should be military at the border? I would is say you is that you're a marine. Yep. If if there was forty thousand marines on the border of Mexico and Texas, wouldn't think wouldn't or would things be better? Well, I would I would defer uh, that that uh, question to the Department of Homeland Security, and if. The Department of but Homeland, you're a Democratic Board commitment. If what the do you think? The Department of Homeland Security say, "Hey, this is the, this is what I need in order to to secure the border," uh, then I would defer. Uh, but they're not going to say it because to to say it would acknowledge that they've screwed up. And I'm just saying, as, as a Democrat on the street, yeah. you're talking. You want people to vote Democratic. I mean, when when you're talking to a voter, can you say, you know what? Maybe, maybe we're not doing the best job. No, I'm, what I'm going to tell them is that we were able to push forward with a 1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. We're going to talk about the CHIPS Act that's bringing manufacturing back to the United How States. How does that stop we're also going to talk from about coming the, into the country? We're also going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act. So, so you want to change the subject? No, what I, what I want to do is talk <clears throat> about the fact that when President Trump closed the border, yeah. there was a huge void of, of professional uh, people that were able to come here, as well as uh, folks that do uh, you know day-to-day jobs. So Migration, immigration's good. Again, there's been a failure by Congress in order to act a process. Yeah, Mark. I, you know, President Trump was aided by a global pandemic that helped, you know, in, in, you know, block people from any country from coming into the United States. So, um, you know, I think had the pandemic not been, been there, we might have seen this influx. I, I, I do, do you think, not give him any more credit than that? That he well, was basically he saved by he, the pandemic? Well, I, I didn't like the family separation policy. I didn't like children being sent off, separated, with no idea who they were attached to. Um, that was a Chicago problem, too. Those, those, uh, during the Trump administration, children were sent to facilities in Chicago, operated by subcontractors managing that housing, separated from their families, children, you know, minors, minor children. Uh, so very, that was a very scary time as well. So I, I do think, you didn't know— Didn't people the, know that was going to happen? Should should parents have known that was going to happen? It's a product of the desperation that you want to have your child live a safe life. And, you know, you're willing to risk that to get them the opportunities here that the United States presents The risk of the losing world. them or the risk right. of, of having them separated. Right. Yeah. It was a, a risk they took. I mean, look they, at the people crossing the river with razor wire. I mean— at risk to their own peril. It shows the level of desperation. And I don't think there's a wall high enough to stop people from seeking out a better life from their children. I would agree 100% with that. Having spoken with a family that uh, came um, in August where they had trekked from uh, Venezuela, went through Panama, got robbed in Panama of everything, even a pamper bag for for their 11-month-old child, um, offer risk to for to better for have a better life. I mean that's that's what this is about. We have that's just not a, desperate. We have just a few minutes left. What would you say to the migrants uh, who are residing outside police stations in your ward, Gill? What would you say to them about what is what does the future look like? I mean the specific future. I mean we've got we got January, February, and March coming up. What can you say to them about how their life might be better? Well, I'm gonna what I, the, what I'm gonna say is that. We're in the process, uh, and now that the state of Illinois is also stepping up, the governor just announced $160 million. The Cook County 
is also providing $100 million to try to assist with this, uh, this, uh, this, this crisis that we're in. Um, we've been, we've been uh, burdening, you know, shouldering the burden of, of this whole uh, uh, process, uh, the whole crisis, rather, uh, with, with our own funds. And so now that we have other partners stepping up, it's good to see that. Help is on the way. Uh, and, our, and our process that we're going to put forward, uh, I think, is going to allow for folks to uh, get the necessary training, necessary paperwork in place in order to try to get them. Is there going to be, is there going to be more federal funds? Is that what you're no, what I'm hearing I'm, you say? Well, what I'm saying is we're, the city of Chicago, the city of New York, uh, Denver, San Antonio, are all, all these large cities are lobbying uh, the president and the White House uh, to get some additional funding. Uh, there was, there was but a, isn't that going to require congressional buy-in? I mean, he, does he have the discretionary money to just make money available to cities? Doesn't have that have to go through a congressional process? Depending on where that pool of money is coming from, mm-hmm. right? So uh, Congress provides some lump sum funding for certain things, and so it'll be up to the president to de- identify where those funds are. And the are. governor. Mm-hmm. And the governor. The well. governor spends hundreds of millions of dollars to get elected. He could spend hundreds of millions of dollars to spread around the police stations around Chicago. Well, Save Illinois is doing 160 million. He's got a lot of hotels. He's got a lot of hotel rooms. <laughs> on that note, we're not going to get the Democratic work of anyone to comment on that. And uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, Gilbert, uh, Alderman Gilbert Diaz, thanks very much for joining thank us you. on the 36th Board. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. Mark will be with us in our second hour when we'll be talking with Jefferson Morley. And we'll be turning back the clock. But also, most importantly, we will be bringing you up to date on what has transpired into the investigation to the assassination of John school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's...
Mr. Lamont, back. We continue with our number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, in studio, Mark Costello continues uh, with me. And also we are joined, as I mentioned, by Jefferson Morley. He is with JFA, Jeff, JFK Facts. And again, uh, he is one of the most respected and leading experts on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which took place Believe it or not, 60 years ago, uh, this coming week, November 22nd. And uh, Jefferson, it's nice to have you back. We've done numerous programs in the past, and and so it's nice to have you back again. Uh, and and I'd I'd like Thanks to be me, thank you. I'd like to begin about uh, with all the things that you have learned. And by the way, we should mention you deal in facts, uh, not all conspiracy. Yeah. You deal in facts, which I think makes you. Uh, it separates you from the rest of the field of people that, that question the assassination. But of all the facts that you have learned, what is what are the one or two most significant to you personally as a researcher? I think there's there's two that have occurred in the past year that I think are particularly powerful and have influenced my thinking. Mm-hmm. The first is a, a document that was released a year ago, December 2022, which describes an internal investigation of JFK's assassination undertaken by the Miami station of the CIA in the immediate aftermath of Kennedy's assassination. So this document just became public after 60 years. And, and what the document says, and this is from a CIA officer who worked in the station, was that right after the assassination, he and his colleagues were tasked with investigating the president's murder. And they were given a set of questions to ask their Cuban agents. And the questions all concerned were Kennedy's right-wing anti-Castro exiles responsible for his death. So at a time when the White House, the FBI, the Secret Service and the Dallas police are all saying, one man alone killed President Kennedy, don't worry about it. The CIA itself did not believe the lone gunman scenario. And in fact, investigated the possibility that Lee Harvey Oswald was what he said he was, a patsy for people who wanted to provoke a war or a US invasion of Cuba. That's a very important document. It just came out this year. And the second point, is the testimony of the doctors in Parkland Hospital who saw President Kennedy's wounds, who tried to save his life. And these doctors have spoken in a new documentary called What the Doctors Saw, which is streaming on Paramount Plus. And their testimony is very powerful evidence from seven medical professionals who saw Kennedy's wounds close up, and they agree the president was hit by gunfire from two different directions. So those are the two developments that have happened within the past year that I think are highly highly significant and show the official story that one man alone killed the president for no reason, then another guy came along and killed that guy for no reason. You know, that story is not credible anymore. I mean, Bruce, you and I know that, but these two additional facts that we've learned this year you know, I think they make that case even more powerfully. Now, when we've done shows in the past, it has usually been either on the eve of or following some revelation that the CIA has once again stood in the way of releasing 
information that the American people should have and really are are dictated to have uh, by congressional action. So my question to you is they've done this before. Uh, Donald Trump said he was going to release information. Joe Biden has said he's going to release information. And at the last minute, oops, it doesn't get released. So my question to you is of, of all of the things that could be in the file that is still secret, uh, do you believe that it's a massive amount of information or is it just the smoking gun? There's a there's a mixed bag, Bruce. You know, um, there's about 3,600 U.S. government documents related to the assassination that are that still contain redactions. Wow. There's other documents that are known to relate to the assassination that have never been made public in any form whatsoever. So we're dealing with thousands of records. So, you know, why doesn't the CIA release this material? I mean, you know, they don't explain themselves. President Trump couldn't overrule them. President Biden couldn't overrule them. They have control of the record of the assassination now. So, you know, is there important material left in there? You know, I think so. There's also a lot of material that is totally unimportant, that is overclassified, that is not related to national security, that is not important in any way. But Bruce, this is part of what they do is, you know, we're looking for very specific pieces of information about you know, what was the story with the CIA and Lee Harvey Oswald before the assassination? And they know, the CIA knows, they want to keep the haystack very big because, you know, mm-hmm. we're looking for a needle. Right. Well, if the haystack is small, it's easier to find the needle. So what they're doing now is they're keeping the haystack real big to make it more difficult for people to understand what exactly happened on November 22nd, 1963. Mm-hmm. Mark Asello joins us. Uh, Mark, briefly I- explain your, your 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 position on the Kennedy assassination. You're a young man. You were not alive when President Kennedy was assassinated. But uh, what's your thought? Yeah, I you know I I'm Generation X, <laughs> as they say. So um, you know I was always interested in the Kennedy assassination uh, growing up. I think because of my parents' interest. My mother was a very uh, was a Kennedy supporter. She often spoke of that experience. She was an immigrant uh, to the U.S. and was a big fan of Kennedy. But uh, then the Oliver Stone picture got released in the 90s, which, you know, really uh, drew a lot of attention uh, to the issue. And I never felt comfortable just as a a cynical Generation Xer um, with the Lee Harvey Oswald story. But as I said, as I studied it more, I know uh, Vincent Bugliosi wrote this massive tome where he argued, okay, everything's been said. I've poured over every document and, you know, Oswald did it. And I, I just, I've never felt completely comfortable with that. And, you know, I was interested in, in speaking with Mr. Morley today because I know he's been, he's an investigative journalist and has been digging through these records that, you know, I'm, I'm a document hound myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I use, mm-hmm. sent many a FOIA request uh, in my efforts to, uh, in historic <laughs> preservation. So I, I guess my question for uh, Mr. Morley would be um, thinking about the younger generation, um, and maybe we can pick this up after break, but the, um, for students, you know, I teach college students, and they, they really are, are disconnected from the Kennedy assassination and the, even the conversation yeah. about it. So if we can think about, you know, what's the story that I would tell them today in the classroom of the assassination as you've come to know it through your research, I think is a 
question. That is an excellent question. No, uh, Jefferson, we're going to pause here because I don't want to get you mid-sentence okay. with this because it's, it's, it was a very good question. And again, I think it opens up yes. a lot of minds of people uh, watching and listening tonight. Uh, they've heard about it. They'd like to know more about it, but they, they, they don't quite know the next questions to ask. We'll let Jefferson Morley respond to that question uh, from Marcus Sello in just a moment. one 800 723 8289-1-800-723-8289. If you have any questions or comments or insights into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, now's the time to give us a call. Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid, My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. 
As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Bruce and Pack, we continue with our discussion with Jefferson Morley, JFK Facts is the name of his group. And uh, Marcusella, before the break, uh, you asked a very good question. Briefly summarize it for us, and we'll let Jefferson uh, take it away. Sure. The, the question was, you know, for the new generation coming up who, who weren't there for the Kennedy assassination, my students, for example, um, what is the new narrative based on your research that, of the Kennedy assassination that they should know? You know, it's a great it's a great question, Mark. And I get I've been getting asked this question a lot recently. And here's how here's how I respond. You know, why should young people care about something that happened so long ago, right? And we're just talking about, you know, the death of one man, right? Mm -hmm. There's a couple of things to I think that young people need to understand. First of all, you know, the official story that the government told that one man killed the president for no reason. And then another man came along and killed the first man for no reason. That story just isn't true. Now, we don't have necessarily a better explanation of why President Kennedy was killed, but that story we know for a fact is not true. So the fact that the government for 60 years has not produced a credible explanation of why a president was killed in broad daylight, that's important. Why is it important? Because of the policy changes that followed Kennedy's death. And this is where I think, you know, young people want to understand, what, why are we at war around the world? Why have been, we, the United States, been at war around the world for most of the time since President Kennedy's death, since 1963? And then, you know, what I say to young people is, skip the theories. Pay no attention to the JFK conspiracy theories. It's nonsense. It's a, it's a mugs game. Try to acquaint yourself with the facts of the matter. How did the president came to be shot dead in broad daylight? And why was no one ever brought to justice for the crime? What have we learned since then about how this crime occurred? And what effect did that have on the U.S. position in the world? I think if young people address themselves to those facts and that history, I think they'll understand why, you know, why are these old people like Morley, you know, why are they still talking about it? Why do they still care? That's why, because it still influences the world in which we live. To understand the world in which we live, we need to understand the assassination of President Kennedy. The other thing I would add to that, someone of a generation that remembers it, I was 19 years old when President Kennedy was assassinated. It is indelibly etched in my mind's uh, mind as it is in everyone who was alive at that moment. But to me, that was the day that innocence was lost. Your belief yeah. in your government that they were going to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, it ended that day because the American government yeah. lied to the American people. They created a very uh, propped-up blue-ribbon committee that was going to just wrap this up like a present and give it to the American people as truth. 
that truth that they gave us in the Warren Commission was absolutely false. It was a lie. It was a lie, yeah. and it was and it was it was aided by American media, specifically at that point by yeah. Time Life magazine. Life magazine, yeah. which as a journalistic effort, they had they they purchased the key piece of evidence, the Zabruder film. They presented to the American people as fact when they when they excised from the pictures that they printed to the American people, they excised certain frames that showed the president's head being blown off from a shot, in my opinion, from the front. They, 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 they did not want the American people because they thought the American people, they were, they were hiding this from the American people. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I still, by the way, I, I, you know, 60 years later, I am still infuriated when media of any kind wants to hide information from me. And frankly, it's as fresh as the Israeli-Gaza war. If there, if there are gruesome yeah. pictures as an adult, I want to see them with my own eyes. I don't want to be treated like a child. And in 1963, the American government treated the American people like children. Right. And so I think, Bruce, it's important for young people to understand, how could that happen? How could our government you know, say something that just wasn't true about such a shocking event? The president of the United States shot dead in broad daylight. Why would the government lie about that? And this is why people need to understand because it was in everybody's interest not to talk about what had happened, you know? And so everybody avoided it. The editors of the big newspapers avoided it. Leaders in the government avoided it. People in the CIA immediately suspected that the official story wasn't true and they were suppressed. Nobody wanted to go there because it was just too painful. How could this thing happen? So the government serves up this explanation, semi-plausible at the time. A, you know, a, a number of people believed it. Most people didn't believe it. And most people have never believed it. But that's the, that's the story that we've been stuck with ever since then. So when people say, why does it matter today? You know, because this false story is still in place. The government's still sticking with it. And when the government lies about something so big, you know, it's time to pay attention. Was, again, with, with six decades, uh, you know, to review this, looking back in hindsight, had the truth been told, the truth that I think you and I probably would agree on, maybe not all, all aspects of it, but the truth is that it was not Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone, but it was a part of a larger conspiracy, either involving American intelligence or the Cubans or the Russians or someone else that wanted to do harm to the United States. Is the truth, yeah, six, dec yeah. is the truth six decades later is that the, American, the, the government did the right thing because the American people, had they been told the truth then, they would have demanded either war with Russia, war with Cuba, and there would have been a war because foreign hands were involved in this assassination. That was the justification that people yeah. had at the time for covering, up, for covering up the story was, oh, this could lead to war. You know, the fact of the matter is none of the evidence led to the Soviet Union. None of the evidence led to Cuba. And most of the evidence led to Kennedy's, Kennedy's enemies 
inside the own, their, his own government. So the crime was never investigated because to investigate it would have been to call into question the bona fides of people in the CIA and the Pentagon. That was not going to happen. And so because we have a powerful national security apparatus, they tamped down this story of what had really happened and offered up a cover story that this one guy did it. He's nuts. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Move along. You know, and in the in, and in the trauma of the moment, and you talk about, you, you know, your trauma, Bruce, I, I didn't live through that. I was in kindergarten. So I came along with a, a, a later generation that came of age in the 70s. And, you know, mm -hmm. We didn't believe what the government said. We disbelieved what the government said because we had abundant proof from Watergate in Vietnam that the government was not trustworthy. And so the Tonkin the public, opinion, the public opinion changed in the in the sixties and seventies, where you know most people came and said, you know, I don't believe this story, and I don't care how many times the mainstream media tells me it doesn't make sense. And that popular suspicion. Here's the, here's the thing that people don't say. That popular suspicion is very well-founded. In fact, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's the historical record. That's what, the, that's what we've learned about Kennedy's assassination in the last 20 years. You know, the official story cannot possibly be true. There must be a better explanation. And the, the preponderance of the evidence, for me, points to you know, Kennedy was killed by enemies in his own government who opposed his policies, who feared his policies. And that's how desperate they were. They wanted to kill him. Mark Gusello. <clears throat> to what extent do you think that the current sort of um, Trump's branding of the deep state, for example, do you think, you know, what is the, the origin of that deep state? Do you think it goes back to this Kennedy moment? Um, to what extent? Yeah, well, you know, I try, I try to disentangle the description of what happened with Kennedy from the contemporary rhetoric about the deep state. I mean, after all, Trump has blasted his enemies among, you know, former CIA officials as a deep state that is out to get him. You know, but let's not forget when when the question of what to do with the JFK files came to Trump in October 2017, he gave the so-called deep state everything they wanted. I mean, everything. He didn't object to any secrecy around JFK records. So, you know, is Trump interested in what's going on with JFK records? I don't think so. Is there a coterie of senior officials who are beyond the law? You know, I think if you look at the JFK records, you know, what's happened, you know, they're withholding records and it doesn't make any difference who's president. So call that a deep state or not. I would say it's unaccountable power. And when Congress passes a law like the JFK Records Act of 1992 and says, you know, you need to release all of these records by 2017, here we are, six years, the deadline's been blown four times, and the CIA has the ability to impose its desires on the rest of the government. Isn't the, is isn't, isn't the, the I mean, to get right down to is. the crux, that's though, is whether you're Joe Biden or whether you're Donald Trump, you're worried that your head's going to be blown off if you release the information, that you will be assassinated. You know, I, I don't think it's I don't think it works like that, Bruce. I think it's like Joe Biden's an institutionalist. The CIA wants something. 
He needs them in Ukraine. He needs them in Gaza. He's not going to piss them off, you know, and so he doesn't. We've got, a pa- we've got a pause. We've got a pause. We'll be back okay. with Jefferson Morley in a couple of minutes. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Wish you luck. We are back, and uh, Jefferson Morley is here, and... Uh, also, uh, well, this is Mark Costello in studio with me. I'm uh, going to take a moment and let each guest uh, give a little background on who they are. We're going to begin with Mark Costello. Mark? 
I'm Mark Casello. I'm a college professor. I'm the director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph and a uh, longtime guest here on Beyond the Beltway. And you love politics. I do. I'm interested in politics. <laughs> and uh, um, who knows? Maybe I'll run for office one day. Oh, really? Well, let us know. That would be good. I think you'd be a good member of Congress. I could either endorse you or attack you, whichever would would help you. Uh, Jefferson Morley. uh, Jefferson, tell us a little bit more about uh, your background, including uh, that excellent book that you have over your left shoulder. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Jeff Morley. I'm a career Washington journalist. I've worked for national publications in Washington, D.C. for most of my career in the last 40 years. Um, And recently I've been moved from journalism, daily journalism, to writing books. And my most recent book that you mentioned, Scorpion's Dance, was published in June of 2022 on the 50th anniversary of the Watergate affair. And it's really the story of the CIA and Watergate um, Mm -hmm. in a way that hasn't been told before. Right. And and Watergate, uh, and, and again, what happened with Watergate, and I guess the Kennedy assassinated. It has it has a number of the same uh, players and, and intricacies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you really can't separate uh, one from the other. It's about uh, what the what the government knows and what the government wants uh, you to know. You mentioned also that uh, you came to this story uh, late in life. What was it? How old were you when you discovered that the Kennedy assassination was something that uh, you were sort of intrigued by or obsessed by? You no, know, you know. Really, what when I got interested, Bruce, was in 1992 after Oliver Stone's movie came out, mm-hmm. and Congress passed the JFK Records Act unanimously, by the way, and actually with the approval of Senator Joe Biden. And what that law said was the government had to release all of its assassination-related records, which at that point, 1992, nearly 30 years after the assassination, most of the government records were still secret. So as a journalist, like there was nothing to work with at that point. Mm -hmm. After the law passed, tons of records, FBI records, CIA records, Secret Service records, Pentagon records, you know, were deposited in the National Archives here in College Park, Maryland. And so as a journalist, I thought there's new material. There's a story there. So that's really when I got interested was after Oliver Stone's movie brought all of these new information into public view. Did the movie uh, in reality help the cause? It certainly, it, 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 it brought to the cause uh, tens Absol- of thousands, no, no, if not Bruce. hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, but did Bruce, it help the cause? It, it, it created the cause. We all owe an immense thanks to Oliver Stone, no matter what you think of his movie. As a result of that movie, we have the government's record of the assassination. And that's not to say that, you know, records haven't been destroyed. They have. That's not to say that the information in there is false. Sometimes it is. But the point is, for the first time, thanks to Oliver Stone, we have access to the same information that Congress, the CIA, the FBI all had about the assassination so that we can judge the question for ourselves. That's why we owe our... uh, Thanks to Oliver Stone. Are, Without him, we would not have the complete story. Are there other films on the horizon or literary works on the horizon that you will think uh, that you think will do the same thing for this generation? What Oliver Stone did for yours? I mean, 
I think the Parkland doctors, the, this, this new film called What the Doctors Saw on Paramount Plus, I think this can have a profound impact on public opinion. It's a very different movie than Oliver Stone's JFK, which mm -hmm. of course was a fictionalized, admittedly fictionalized Hollywood feature film. What the doctor saw is a very different thing. It's a very clinical description of what seven doctors who treated President Kennedy's wounds saw and what they say about the causes of the President Kennedy's death. And what they say in this documentary, I think, and I urge everyone to look at it and decide for themselves. Don't take it from me. Watch it. No, what they say is what we saw in terms of the president wounds, he was hit by gunfire from two different directions. By multiple, he was attacked by multiple gunmen. That's the unanimous opinion of seven doctors who saw his wounds firsthand right after they happened. So it's an important historical document in terms of understanding the assassination. Make of it what you will. Go watch it. Don't take it, you know, it's, don't take Morley's word for it. Watch what the doctors saw and decide for yourself what happened. One other thing that has happened over the last six decades, and again, the media has been very complicit in it, and that is to lump all people who are questioning uh, the results of November 22nd, as yeah. in many cases as crackpots, as conspiracy theorists, and uh, they have used the term grassy knoll as, as a shortcut to basically saying that the person uttering those words is nutty. Uh, mm -hmm. And so let, let's, let's talk about the way in which media has smeared many Americans who have been seeking the truth for six decades. You know, what, what's happened is the mainstream news organizations have aligned themselves with the government. And they aligned themselves back in 1964 and in the 1960s. And then again, in the 1990s, when Oliver Stone offered another vision of what had happened. Right. And, you know, they're stuck with this turkey of a story, you know, and more and more evidence has come out to show that it's not true. But they can't bring themselves to admit it because too much is at stake, Bruce. You know, it's like because they've invested so much in saying anybody who could possibly think have any doubts about JFK's assassination is crazy. Pay no attention to them. Move along. Don't you know? And it's like with the weight of the evidence after 60 years and talking about revelations like, well, what about the doctors? You know, what did they say? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Here, go listen to them on what the doctors saw. You know. They well, they've also had a role. The, the media also has had a role in in destroying the reputation of anyone that's raised their head. I mean, yeah, no, uh, and, just, and, you and, know. and 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 this cover story is collapsing. So, what I hope, Bruce, is that people will, you know, keep the conspiracy theory discourse away from this. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, there was no QAnon in 1963. Right. It wasn't crazy to doubt the official story in 1963, and it's not crazy today. Anybody who says to the contrary doesn't know the facts and is engaging in a kind of psychological warfare to, you know, make sure that nobody questions the official story. Mm -hmm. The weight of the evidence is too much now. And so I, I'm actually hopeful, Bruce, that the, the kind of media taboo about this is going to break down thanks to like things like 
the, the Parkland Doctors documentary. And people are going to begin to say, let's put that conspiracy crap to the side, that theory to the side. Let's talk about what actually happened and what the government actually knows. Mm -hmm. Okay. Conspiracy theories. We're not going to talk about those. We're just going to talk about the facts of what happened and the facts that are still withheld. Right. Mark. Yeah. Um, so one of the issues is, you know, I know Jeff that you've personally been in those archives, you know, you've, you've yeah. flipped through and I, I've read that you even have your documents organized in like the CIA's classification system, which I thought. Was well, yeah, because... I mean, you know, they know what they're doing. So, I, you know, <laughs> right. I follow make, that. Give them some credit. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. But but my question was, you know, for for the average American who doesn't have the time to go digging through the archives, um, where do we start? You know, where do we start? Where's a good place to start to find some of these facts to try to just inform ourselves? You know, the 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 best place to start is a website called uh, it's the website of the Mary Farrell Foundation. MaryFarrell.org is the site, and it's the largest online collection of JFK assassination material. Far better, incidentally, than the National Archives' own site. It's searchable, and it has readable introductions to all the issues that surround Kennedy's assassination. So I highly recommend MaryFarrell.org to, you know, to, to get your to get acquainted with the story and to understand it. There's some good books that have been published recently. Um, JFK and the Unspeakable by a man named James Douglas is an excellent book. Um, Not in Your Lifetime by Anthony Summers is a good introduction to, you know, what was really going on? What didn't the official investigation get at that we now know? Um, I think this documentary, what the what the doctors saw is another good way to get and get J, J, JFK facts. Tell people about JFKfacts.org. And, and, and my website, JFK Facts, on Substack, you know, we provide pretty much daily reporting on new developments. And here's the thing, Bruce. We're not involved in the conspiracy debate. You know, if you want conspiracy theories, right. don't come to my site. There's a lot of If them. you want to know what happened, that's what we report on every day. What are the, what's the new information on Kennedy's assassination? What's the bad information? And we try and sort that out not to establish the great historical truth, not to vindicate any political point of view. People of all points of view are welcome. There's no culture war on JFK facts substack. Trump supporters are welcome. Biden supporters are welcome. People in between are welcome. We don't get involved in all of that culture war stuff. What, what unites us all, despite our very different political points of view, we want the truth. We want the, we want the government to tell the truth. And so good. it's not a rat, man. A good, a good idea. That, that was a good summary. Yeah. When, when we come back, I want to ask the question, because we've talked about conspiracy theories. I want to get your opinion as to who, in the, his, the last six decades, has done the most bad or has done the worst job of communicating truth to the American people. Who are the people out there that support conspiracy theories that maybe are a little questionable themselves? Back shortly. 
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and we continue with our guests, Jefferson Morley and also with Mark Casello. A uh, question to you, Jefferson, uh, before the break, I asked uh, who along the way, uh, as, as this story has, has grown, uh, conspiracy theories have come and gone, um, n- numerous books, hundreds of books have been written on the subject. Who were the people that you think legitimately were moving a story along in a very positive way and not necessarily taking a uh, either a conspiratorial or a sensational side trip. You know, I I, I think it really starts with the House Select Committee on Assassinations and mm-hmm. the Church Committee in the 1970s, yep. which reopened the JFK investigation. 
because it was obvious by the mid 1970s that the Warren Commission investigation was very superficial, that the Warren Commission was deceived by the CIA on multiple points. Mm -hmm. That's no longer doubted. It's no longer open to question. So that first generation in the 1970s began to really, you know, start questioning. Oliver Stone built on that body of records to create what he called a counter myth to the myth of the Warren Commission. You know, was Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone's film, you know, accurate in all respects as history? No, it was a Hollywood film. It wasn't a documentary. And Stone said that it wasn't, it was fictional. It was a counter myth. But did it capture a reality in the, found in the historical record that there was good reason to believe that Kennedy had been ambushed by enemies high in his government? Yes. It also Stone had the, the film factual, also the they, film also presented uh, Jim Garrison, the district attorney in uh, in uh, New Orleans, as as a as a rational yet you know a, a very stressful character, tense character. Not as an absolute. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and you know, Stone's movie glamorized him. The reality yes. of Jim Garrison, you know, was not as cut and dried as Oliver Stone portrayed it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a Hollywood movie, you know. And you know what? Oliver Stone was a senior in high school when Kennedy was killed. What what he thought happened is not particularly important compared to what actually happened. So you know, I'd like to put it to Mark. You know. What do you hear from your students? What do, how do people think about the JFK story and do they care? Do they think it's important? You know, how do, I think it's really important and that's why I'm asking. Right. Yeah, actually right now I, I teach an academic research writing course and our focus is on um, how sites of tragedy and violence are treated and how those events are memorialized. And a big component uh -huh. of that is the stories that are told and, and how those sites get interpreted. And so the Kennedy assassination comes up early. Uh, we use the work of Kenneth Foote, a scholar who wrote a book called Shadowed Ground, and, and he addresses the four presidential assassinations in the U.S. And when we come to the Kennedy uh, section, <clears throat> the students really have no, no real knowledge of it. They kind of lump it in with the other uh, presidential assassinations and don't really differentiate it in terms of its historical context. And so that's mm -hmm. always an interesting conversation. Um, we talked recently about the, that they're demolishing Parkland Hospital, you know, um, and that may be completed. I'm not sure, but it was um, supposed to happen starting in 2022. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that should be mm -hmm. actually a national historic landmark, honestly, um, to tell this part of that story. So from the student's perspective, um, they really, you know, it's, it's in the distant past to them. And they just say, oh, it was another one of those presidential assassinations. And they haven't even really heard about anybody other than the Lincoln and Kennedy assassinations. You, you mentioned Jefferson, uh, the name Frank Church, uh, the former yeah. senator from the great state of Idaho, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest Americans, certainly one of the greatest senators of all time, because of what he did in leading the investigation of the CIA back in the 70s. And so also, you mentioned the House assassinations investigation into not only the Kennedy assassination, but other assassinations, including Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and the result of that investigation was startling. Tell the, tell the public what the revelation 
and the, the summary of that investigation said. So when Congress reopened the congressional investigation in the 1970s, it started with the Church Committee, which investigated the CIA, and then was succeeded shortly after that in 1976 by the House Select Committee on Assassination. So a congressional committee reopened the investigation of the murder of the president, which had happened 13 years before that. And what the House Select Committee found was that the original investigation was grossly deficient, and they concluded that Kennedy was probably killed as a result of a conspiracy whose participants could not be identified. So that wasn't a very satisfactory you know, answer in terms of the public's desire to know. It wasn't conclusive. It didn't point the didn't finger at Didn't it say anybody. likely conspiracy? Did in all probability. the term likely conspiracy, which, which again, that was quite a revelation from government. In all probability was the phrase that the House... House Select Committee used. So one, it was strong language. One one no. last question. Again, we've only got a minute to go, but uh, briefly summarize. I understand that there is a new book out which takes the Kennedy assassination, the Robert Kennedy assassination, uh, and the uh, Martin Luther King assassination, and Mark, Malcolm X, and wraps them all together. Have you read the book? Do you think anything of it? I mean, People have talked about this. These are four assassinations of left, liberal, leftist political leaders between 1965 and 1968, 1963 and 1968. And, you know, people try and draw a common denominator, a site, a common cause. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, it's certainly historically noteworthy that these major figures were cut down at the prime of their... Um I'm, I'm do I know of any evidence to connect at, the four of them? I do not. On that moment, we're out of time. Jefferson Morley, thank you very much. Marcusello, thank you. Good night from Chicago. Thank you. <laughs>